The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Skinny are helping you show how smart you are with the 1Q Quiz, an all-new, super-challenging and super-quick daily quiz built by The Spin-Off. Every Monday, Skinny are giving you the chance to prove you're smart with the Skinny Extra Credit question. Get it right, and you'll get the chance to score yourself some Skinny Extra mobile credit so you can text, call, or even video call your group chat and gloat about how big your brain is. T's and C's apply. you're listening to a very special edition of the Papercuts podcast, the podcast all about books. We are down at the Auckland Writers' Festival 2019. I'm Gina Todd. I'm Louisa Cosser. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram. You can email us. And on all those things, we are Papercuts Pod. Yes. Papercuts Pod, Papercuts Pod, Papercuts Pod at gmail.com. You got it. <laughs> so um, we are recording on the fifth floor of the Altair Centre and we're going to give you a bit of smattering of events for, that have happened over the last few days. It's now Friday and we've had a, a good day down at the festival but we wanted to mention a few big evening events that have happened during the week. Yeah, the, so the first event that really kicked off the festival the big daddy of the events. The Ockham New Zealand Book Awards. And this is a really great event to go to. It's only $16. I mean, this, I'm th- saying this so you can plan it for next year. And the idea of the awards is that it's a generally pretty swift award ceremony in terms of award ceremonies going. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the main idea is that you can see writers read from their books. So there's a really big cheese prize for the fiction, which we've spoken about a lot on the podcast, but this is the Acorn Foundation Fiction Prize for $53,000. And this was won by Dame Fiona Kidman for her book, This Mortal Boy, Woo-hoo! which has been an amazing, uh, such an amazing book, and it's big, been a big favourite of Karen and I's, and Louisa will read it <laughs> sometime soon. And I know you'll love it. I know I'll love it too. Yeah. The judges said that this book was moving, memorable, authentic and urgently relevant to our times and it was published by Penguin Random House. And we also saw readings by Lloyd-Jones for The Cage, Kate Doignan for The New Ships and Vincent O'Sullivan for All This By Chance. And I really liked hearing Kate Doignan talking about a purple cock. Wait, yeah, there was, the a, there was a distinct tittering in the audience <laughs> when she said that. It was really great. And uh, we'll, we'll post the rest of the awards and the amazing winners on um, our little page for you to have a look at if you haven't heard them already. But we had a really great night. It was quite yeah. There were sort of moments that were really moving. It's a special night. It's a really great way to celebrate New Zealand literature. There's a lot of death spoken about in this or people who have recently had people in their life die or very moving speeches it's yeah. quite a heavy tone 
but yeah. it was still very dignified. It felt intimate. Yes. And even though it was in a large <laughs> stage, on stage environment. And there was so much Tereo spoken. Uh, it was hosted by Stacey Morrison, who. Oh, she knocked out of the park. And, and it was just, I just loved it. I recommend anyone to going down. And then Louisa, Curran, and I headed over to the Heartland tent for a. A wino, yeah, wino for the after party, and hang out with old Dunks and Simon from the spin-off, and it was just a really great night. A giant sign fell on my head. Yes, and that was hilarious because I saw that from across the room. It was like happening in slow motion, and I think I was like <laughs> quietly like screaming, <laughs> and, and then you just goes so paper cuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And then last night, which was Thursday night, we went to the... The, the Gala. Ga- the Gala, the Festival Gala, True Stories Told Live. The theme being Crossroads. So this is when the festival get eight authors. Sure. Seven or eight authors, and they do a seven-minute true story. Told kind of like live. Moth, yeah. Um, like local international authors yeah I like that they usually have a mixture of the local and international authors and the theme this year was Crossroads Crossroads so I think my favorite uh, was someone who I'm a big fan of was Chessie Henry she wrote a book called We Can Make a Life and she won the first best book, first book best award first book for non-fiction um, I, what I really liked about her talk it was quite casual it wasn't too polished but it it was about her brother Rufus who's a big part of We Can Make a Life and um, it was really nice to hear that story and she was just like kind of laughing along with the crowd because it's just a really endearing yeah she story. was super charming um, yeah really liked her she was really warm and fun and who was your favourite? My favourite was kind of on the other end of the spectrum, I guess, in terms of tone. It was Camilla Shamsi. I actually haven't read any of her books, and I'm going to remedy that very soon because I enjoyed what she had to say so much. She had a really wonderful, sort of dignified affect, um, but she also spoke quite sort of gently and movingly about how she came to be a writer. And she started off by saying, I don't believe in magic, but... um, you know, told, but listen, but listen to story. this story, yeah. and then the the story was quite magical, and it was about um, an object that came into her life, which made her a writer. And this object was a book that sort of just appeared, a novel called All Dogs Go to Heaven, and she read it when she was eleven, and it inspired her and a friend, you know, a fellow eleven year old friend, to write their own novel. And so this book sort of turned up, and then it disappeared, and then she spoke about. You know, years later, as you do, sort of Googling it and saying, you know, she saw it, she saw the exact edition, and she didn't click by because she knew that it had come into her life and it had gone out of her life and it had served its purpose. So it was lovely. She's such a classy lady. Oh, she was a class act. She had a great dress on. She had that dress. I mean, I feel, you know, you always bring it back to what a woman is wearing, but she just looks so beautiful. She was, yeah. Actually, they were really great outfits from everyone. Mm. Mika looked really great last night. Oh, yeah, best dressed. Best dressed, Yeah, But he's always best dressed in every room (laughs) he's in. Um, That's Mika, the um, performing arts impresario of New Zealand, um, who has recently published, um, has had his memoir published, I Have Loved Me A Man. After the gala, you went to a book launch? I did. And um, often book launches aren't like 
big events at the Auckland Writers Festival, but this, I tell you, was a really great event. It was it was not just a book launch, it was a full-on performance. So we were all, you know, seated in rows and the writers were on stage. Um, the first person who was on stage was the uh, multi-instrumentalist Kingsley Melhuish, and he was doing things like um, kind of rubbing bees between his fingers to make bird noises and playing conch shells and looping these noises to make these he would make an individual soundscape for every writer that went on stage and you had some incredible writers did I even say what book it was I for? Know, I was <laughs> you're like Louisa what's this book? Yeah. Um, so the launch was for the book Purako Māori Myths Retold by Māori Writers published by Penguin Random House I actually had the pleasure of working on this book in a project managerial kind of role um, and so it was really cool to see these pieces that I had sort of combed for errors um, come to life on this stage. I really enjoyed them. Um, so you had Tina Makareti who we've talked about before on the pod. She's an incredible New Zealand writer. Um, you had um, younger writers like Nick Lowe who lives in Australia but you know is, they're all um, you know New Zealanders of Māori extraction. Um, and so it was just such a fun performance. Um, I think one of the best book launches I've ever been to. Wow. And I've been to quite a few. Because you were telling about a book launch you missed last week and there was a re-proposal? Yes, yes, the writer's husband. So this was the launch of The Unreliable People by Rosetta Allen and um, on stage her husband re-proposed her which is so lovely and that wasn't even all. They had like actors and stuff so I was really gutted that I missed that one. So I'm really pleased that I came to this book launch. Always go to a book launch. You got a show. It's the moral of the story. Got dinner and a show. As they say. Well that's us from me That's it. That's all. That's all folks. Yeah Karen will be popping in soon but we have got some authors lined up for you to listen to. We're going pretty free range this festival as we always do. But Going rogue. We're going rogue so we'll see you later. Okay, so we are in the Patrons Lounge at the Aotea Centre at the Auckland Writers Festival and we have the lovely Dame Fiona Kidman with us who has, of course, just won the Acorn Foundation Fiction Prize, the biggest literary prize in New Zealand. Welcome, Fiona. Thank you, Karen. This Mortal Boy was such a podcast favourite for us um, last year. I sort of felt like we were just talking about it all the time. So, um, congratulations. Thanks a lot. Um, exciting. So, one of the things that the judges said is that it's urgently relevant. And it's interesting because some people might think of it as just a, a kind of New Zealand story. But it's very universal, isn't it? Well, it's, this is what they're telling me. And I love that phrase, urgently relevant. And I, I thought about it because I hadn't quite thought about it in those terms myself. But I suppose... One of the things that I, certainly one of the things that drove the novel was my ideas about the vulnerability of young people, how one mistake, for them, often quite good kids, nice people, as I think Albert Black was, can lead to the most tragic consequences. And that vulnerability still exists. You still see kids making mistakes in the lives of 
their lives, maybe the lives of a victim that has become involved in a, a brawl or whatever, um, destroyed their family's lives, altered all of those things. But on the wider stage too, I think that the world is in a very vulnerable state at the moment. And so maybe there is some relevance in that, that we all stand on some sort of a precipice and we hope that some, somewhere somebody will pull back and say enough, which of course in the case of Albert Black they didn't. Not quite, but it always felt like they were just about to. Yeah, I know, I know. And that's what I tried to... That was one of the um, challenges of writing this particular book because... Everybody knows what the what's going to happen yeah. at the end. There's no happy ending. So to try and, try and create a tension to keep oh. a forward movement. Um, Read, yeah, yeah, reading it, yes. I remember just feeling like I know what the outcome of the story is, but I just every I kept feeling like no, but something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to do something. So, I, I guess that's just, where the urgency is. Yeah. I always describe it as when you're watching Titanic. I felt like when I watched Titanic, which is like oh, my yeah, favourite yeah, movie. Yeah. Like, maybe that's quite a similar text. This time. <laughs> that's right. Maybe he'll get on the door. Yeah. <laughs> on the floating door. <laughs> Uh, and so you dedicated the book to Albert's um, daughter, who was born three months after Albert um, Black's death. Does she know about the book's win? Yes, she does, and um, she's pleased. Oh, so yes. what was her response? She just said, she said, just sent congratulations, and I think I think in time maybe she's thinking that maybe she'll be a little bit more upfront about. But yeah. there are people who are still very sensitive to what happened in terms of family relationships and so forth. She's a lovely person. Yeah. I dedicated to her and to Ian Kidman, who was he was my collaborator for, and yeah, and he died two weeks after I'd finished writing the book. Really? Mm. Very suddenly, so that's yeah. I'm sorry. Had, had you um, been carrying the story of Albert for a long time before you decided to write about it? Well, you know how things sort of bubble along in your life and you, you, you don't think about them. I actually read a newspaper clipping that was, uh, and it, it reminded me of, the, of that event. And I was a teenager at the same time. I was 15 when Albert died. Mm. And I did remember about it happening, and I did remember discussion and so forth. And um, What was the general feeling at the time about, uh, well, in, in your experience anyway? Well, my experience was that I lived in a very conservative background mm. at the time, and that it was, you know, that he was putting him to death was, was you know, what you did. Right, yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, that said, uh, my father was uh, an Irishman, yeah. and that has inform- informed me as that the in crea- creating a character of Albert. I mean, when I say creating, I didn't know him, although of course. But but I, I brought my father was something of always felt like something of an outsider, and that's one of the things that is also in the book is the 
and how we resist outsiders. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, yeah. of course, is very relevant at mm. the Intense, moment. Intense, urgently relevant. Urgently yes. relevant, yeah. 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 Do you feel hopeful? I think that the hope of the world is actually young people. I really, and I, I have a lot of young people in my own personal life. I'm a mother and a grandmother of many and a great-grandmother, mm -hmm. and Ooh. they're good people, you know, and, and I look at things like kids marching for climate change and I see kids in America marching for gun, gun control and I think, you know, I'm an old person now. You have to place the future in the hands of the young and believe, hope and believe that they'll do well by it. Trust them. Yeah. yeah. That's a bit of a rallying cry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really interested to know what you're reading at the moment or what you're loving. Oh. Well, I've just loved um, Milkman. Oh, great. Birds. Yeah. And I, I'm really glad that I have read it after I wrote This Mortal Boy because I think I'd be so so bowled over by her. her <laughs> you might become of, informed by it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yes it, but I, th I did love it. It took me a little while to get the voice. But, um, but once you plug into it, you're away, yes, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. So I, lo I really have enjoyed recently Tina Margheriti's mm. Lives of Jane. Tina's read that, yeah. yeah. I thought it was great. I was really surprised that it wasn't shortlisted. I thought it was a winning book. Yeah. yeah. Love it. And again, that, that's such a book that feels very relevant to today as Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. Again, the inside out and the outside in. Yeah. And I'm just about to read Maxine Alterio's new novel. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. All right. Is that us? That's it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Uh, yeah, we love this multiple boy. We yeah. urge, uh, urge everyone to read yeah. it, especially now that it's Monday. It's going to have another right. life. Yes, that's right. Well, yeah. Can but, I be really cheeky, Fiona, and recommend a book? Yes. Um, so Gregory Khan was talking to us as he came up and he sort of scuttled off, he was a bit shy um, but his book is at the festival and he's reading at 2.30 it's a poetry book and I think you might really enjoy it, it's called Under Glass if you come across it I think you should is it great? It it's really great. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I do read poetry, and I've also I, I know. I've, ju I've just You've bought written, him. You've written yes. poetry. I've just yeah. bought Helen Hayes. Oh, I'm oh, yes. a fan of hers. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another Occam's Book Award winner, yeah. of course. Exactly. So yeah. pleased to be well, here. Well, thank you, thank you all for your support. I really love it, and I do listen to your podcast. Oh, thank you. I do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> thank you. That's. Here we go. Hello, we are back. Back. It's six, Saturday. Saturday, the 18th like of May, almost seven o'clock, and we've had a full day at the Writers Festival. Jenna's just woken up from a nap. Karen's just come out of Jalay Brimson. And we are ready to tell you about everything we've we've seen since we last spoke. We've very, seen a lot. Very enthusiastically too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have some things that we've seen, namely Elaine Castillo, that we're going to talk about later, yes. that Karen hosted, because we want to save that until perhaps <laughs> Elaine's here. Um, <laughs> last night I went to the literary, oh fuck, liter <coughs> literally lawn session, which was lots of 
was on Lawn Street and there was lots of little pods so there was like the um, lots of galleries and spaces and there was even a hole in the wall shop that you could say a poem to and you got a cookie um, and it was just a very I felt like democratic on the ground yeah. people people on the ground type event so accessible I, very accessible so I went to see um, the Friday poem at Auckland Central Library I saw Simone Caho speaking that She's was always an amazing performance. I know she's so um, endearing you just want to know more yeah as yeah. she's speaking and an amazing performer and then I also caught the end of um, the dear Jim in the St. James's lobby which was um, <coughs> they had authors um, or speakers respond to the recently published James K. Baxter letters which a little bit controversial and I saw Emma Espina give an amazing response to one of his letters as well as Ian Weddy who, who used the um, he turned his he turned the, the task on its head a little bit and responded to James pretending to be Archie Baxter. So it was lovely being in that floor of the James, um, St. James lobby and those beautiful, um, that beautiful roof. And I really liked it. it was all well, how often is that space ever used for yeah, us? Eh? Yeah, I know. It's very nice. <clears throat> and then I think we all went to bed and woke up had a bit of a sleep in and yeah. arrived. Yeah. Leisurely wandered down to the Altair Centre. Although yesterday I went and saw Douglas Coupland. Oh, um, who I was I'm really glad that I went to that session because like, I was a little sure bit on the fence because I thought, yeah. you know, I read him twenty years ago and as you know, he wrote the book Generation X, which meant a lot to me at the time. It was really kind of of the time and um, I thought, oh, is it relevant now? But I went, and it was just, I just have, like, a newfound respect for him. Um, and wasn't that especially after that and his interview with Kim Hill this morning? Yeah, absolutely, Combined. yeah. So, which was a great combo. Uh, Kim Hill was sitting in front of me taking notes at his session. I, I saw that. Um, and it was really great. He was talking about how he misses his pre-internet brain. And it was just so interesting and kind of talking about things like um, social change and historical overdosing and um, information overload, but that's always been a thing, um, how in the 80s, you know, cable TV came around and people were doing that. And he was just, he kind of wryly said, oh, there's always something to end publishing. You know, at first it was television and then it was um, cable or whatever. Um, but now, now it's the internet, binge watching. Uh, he's sort of talk, talked a lot about that um, and kind of about how we outsource our memories to Google. Oh, it was just so interesting. And he kind of talked about um, Marshall McLuhan, who you know wrote the book The Medium is mm. the Message, mm-hmm. and how he predicted decades you know, in advance the invention of the internet. Um, and people thought he was a little bit of a quack and didn't really take him that seriously. But it all came true. The only thing he didn't kind of predict was the interface. And how could mm. he? How could he have done that? Mm. The way that um, it would all be through 
social media. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I thought was real crack up actually, listening to Kim Hill's interview with him today, he said, oh yeah, I was at Bubbles Laundromat uh, doing my laundry and I saw David Chariandi, who was also here for the Auckland Writers <laughs> Festival, he was doing his um, laundry there as well. I thought, oh how quaint, you know, they yeah. come to New Zealand to do a Writers Festival and they have to go to Bubbles Laundromat to do their laundry. And they were like sort of saying, Oh, hey, do you remember that case years ago about that woman who uh, spilt hot coffee on herself from Mm. McDonald's and then sued them for $50 million or whatever? (laughs) Everyone knows that story. And they were like, is that just an urban legend or is it true? And they're like, oh, we can just Google it. And that was the point that Douglas Coupland was making. I miss my pre-internet brain. You know, like Mm. that whole love love a good urban legend. Because isn't that when you use that... McDonald's was kind of the invention for me of when I really remember the lid on the top. The of lid on the top. And yes. it said warning hot. Yes, and like the little bubble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that went back yeah. to that legend of the yeah, woman yeah. from America. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But to your point, it's like very like outsourcing your brain kind of onto the cloud, eh? Like you don't have to hold on to facts anymore. Yeah, you that's just, right. You can just, they're a fingertip away and I wonder if that... Um, what effect that's having physiologically that's, that's so interesting yeah and and the other thing I learned was that he was um he's actually designed half of the baby cribs in the world because he sort of had a stint in um Japan he went to art school yeah he went to art school in Japan and then kind of got this job where he was designing baby cribs and they're all out there um so that was interesting and the follow-up to Generation X his book um was Shampoo Planet which I've read and it basically is a millennial novel it's all pre millennial but you know it's all very prescient so I sort of feel like he's become full circle relevant again Um, so yeah really really interesting and he also made um, some guy stood up at the end and I was actually thinking someone would say this how do you feel about Morrissey now that he's an absolute racist? Because, of course, um, Douglas Coupland wrote a novel, Girlfriend in a Coma, which is um, named yeah, after the Smith song, song, and that was kind of my... It's embarrassing, but it was my hook into Douglas Coupland. Um, he kind of skirted around that, but <laughs> <laughs> I love that someone asked him. <laughs> yeah, so that was a great session, and, um, yeah, I found him really endearing. Mm, cool. Awesome. I'm so glad that you went. I'm glad I went, it. yeah. Yeah. Um, was that the so was that all that we went to yesterday after we recorded Jenna? In which case Apart from what we're gonna talk about Indeed. Karen later. Um, so today Stein. yeah, the first yeah. event that any of us went to was Jenna going to Chessie Henry's talk. Yeah, I mean guys will know I'm such a big Chessie Henry fan mm. it was a free event oh, and the best thing about it was that I messaged these guys thinking saying I don't think I'm going to make it because I don't think I'm going to have time to get in the line even though I kind of had this ticket saying you could be there five minutes before but um, the room was free beforehand so I just sat down read Ruby I was very hot and I read Ruby Porter's novel um, but it was really good. She's so, she was with Nick Lowe, who was actually, I learned in the oh, behavior. I chaired a session with him at Word. Ah, he's a fellow Kaitahu uh, uh, iwi member. So I was, was at the Purifo launch, which I talked about. That's what I remember. His story is so fantastic in that book. Oh, well, yeah, I was, I was, it was great to see a fellow Kaitahu member there. And he, um, 
he was a really great chair and yeah. it was quite casual she's quite a casual speaker and she speaks on stage like she speaks to you in person mm. and which is a real skill actually mm. yeah and, and super endearing and very honest her brother was sitting in the audience which was so Aww, cute because it seems Rufus. like any oh was it Rufus it was oh, another brother, brother um Finn but it seems like any kind of event she's at she's got one of her four brothers there which is very sweet and she really brought me back to the memories of the book and actually how harrowing parts of that book were mm. and it was quite emotional and quite intense but she speaks about it so like well that's what it was like and she always says it was really grim <laughs> and it's a nice way of putting it I guess um, and it was just a really generous um, session and it was really full and it was That's great. I really enjoyed it I was just like so you know how you're in a session that you've read the book and you feel so invested invested in yeah completely rewarded so that was that was really cool and then where do we go afterwards well after that um, Louisa and I went to Kirsty Gunn in conversation with that guy Michael the guy from Melbourne the guy from Melbourne um and I just have to say that her session to me felt so it was just hearing her speak so bracingly intelligent and bracingly alive I kind of hearing her speak I hung off every word she said and hearing her voice is like music and it was like she just kind of makes other people look like they're mucking around. Just her deep thought and deep engagement with craft and writing. Um, she was so, yeah. she was so thoughtful, so brainy and so generous, I would say. And, um, you know, Karen and I were both scribbling furiously. We were. It was actually the, the only session I've been to where I feverishly took notes. Me too. I love how she said, I've always claimed that the novel is a piece of art. Oh, I loved that. And I think she kind of she kind of kept returning to that, yeah. speaking about how she doesn't feel that she writes a novel, she makes, makes a, novel. a novel. And I thought that was really nice how she, um, if you make some, something, it implies that it's sort of an object to be used mm. by the user. And I think that really ties in with the way that the book is constructed. It has all these... Um, and we've talked about this on Louise, the Louise is referring to her latest book, Caroline's Bikini. Yeah, I am referring to that. And um, we've talked about that book on the pod before and how it's got an interesting structure where there are footnotes um, which the book refers to throughout yeah. and sort of invites you to go and pursue these kind of other through lines. Did it make you look book. at the book differently after hearing her speak? Well, it did, but I think um, I'd already had that experience when I'd heard her um, speak on the radio mm. on Radio New Zealand. Mm and it sort of made the pieces fall into place. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really unusual um, sort of art piece, and people, I guess. And people kind of fixated on the, the whole footnotes thing, but I really liked her ideas about talking about how um, what the novel as a form affords us as opposed to any other kind of form, like um, film, music and television. And just the special thing about a novel, you know, people asked her about footnotes, 
she was just saying, you know, you can have moments of interruption when you're reading a novel, you know, like a child can come in and ask for a cup of juice or, you know, um, the bodily and worldly things that happen around you while you're reading, that's kind of part of the experience and it's kind of very rich and mysterious and Mm. I really liked how she kind of said, you know, it's mysterious reading a novel, it's a mysterious and singular kind of thing. and what does she say? She doesn't like the term being lost in a book, but yeah. she does like the reader to be engaged. That's mm. that's the distinction she made. She, she was arguing for sort of active and deep mm. reading. Um, we, yeah, you're not just, it's not escapism. It's mm. definitely not escapism. I was thinking about that this afternoon because um, Karen and I went to see Camilla Shamsi and she was talking about reading as a child mm. and do you think of that experience mm. as reading as a child because she was saying she was a voracious reader which I really connected to yes. but when you're a kid and you're reading you've got no like nothing behind you like what shall we have for dinner I've got to get this stuff done and isn't that such a dreamy place to be yeah. just to read a book and you actually have nothing else to, to think about oh, that's that's probably what heaven will be like if it exists. <laughs> which um, it doesn't. Which it doesn't. Um, so, um, so that's probably enough, Kirsty. That was great. Now, but I would just like to thank her for the gin recommendations, Karen and I. Very excited Ooh, yeah, about this. Oh yeah, we both were favourite, and she said with grapefruit. Yeah, Harris gin. She Harris said, gin and with and grapefruit. It's a gin that you have with grapefruit. So we are very excited. About that we were both. We both. We both. Yeah. <laughs> very important knowledge. Made us thirsty. But that was the thing about um, Caroline's bikini reading it. You were so thirsty become so thirsty for gin and tonic yeah. and crisps because that's all they do in the bloody book and then what else have we got on um, the menu well Karen and I went to Camilla Shamsi yes. as I just said yeah. and she, that, that was, was wonderful. by Paula Morris I want to hear all about it uh, Louisa and I talked about Camilla at the gala and how she's so dignified and classy and I guess that was an hour long version uh, of yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. She yeah. really blew me away. What she did was she incredible. Talk about with Paula? It was really, it was quite a dexterous session, I thought, which was kind of beautifully handled, um, touching upon things and then coming back round. But some of the things that really stayed with me was her talking about privilege and citizenship. Um, um, Also so much... um, politics and her kind of take on that but also that awareness you know being a dual um, citizen of um, what Pakistan and the United Kingdom and um, yeah just her insights around that and what that privilege affords her and other people who are just actually the kind of same person that she is um, who, who don't have that. It was like one day when she just had her Pakistani passport everything had an asterisk next to it like you know special visa privilege you know you need to apply further but it pretty much means we don't actually want you and then the next day she has a British passport and she can go anywhere pretty much anywhere in the world and she'll be standing in line with a Pakistani person with a Pakistani passport in front of her and she has a British passport and she finds it quite embarrassing yeah like she 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 was pretty staunch on that um and she talked about her love of cricket. 
Oh. And how she's part of this like British authors group too. <laughs> oh, that is um, so delightful. But she can't play, and she really didn't want to be on it. Yes, <laughs> I think that's good PR for the cricket team to yeah. be on it. Um, she talked. They talked about jihadi brides, and it's like quite relevant to mm. her book Home Fires, mm. um, like because a character of her book, which was written in 2015, really replicates the current Home Secretary in the UK at the moment, um, and talked about her love of classics and her I'm glad there wasn't so much of that yeah. <laughs> no, I'm like, like I thought it was excited about that <laughs> yeah but, so it was just it was just oh. a really easy Wait, conversation do we mean classics as in classic books or do we oh, mean like, like classic? mythical classics oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah because um, I'm on board with either you have Home Fire which is based on Antigone loosely yeah. and then another book was um, based on something else I've only read Home Fire by her but I really enjoyed, I, it was a really great book do you yeah. know what I think the cover of that book put me off oh just, really I just didn't find it like, it's it not a great exciting. cover it looks like a kind of almost a mess market do you know what market, um, just kind of middle of the road all of her covers have that look it's all of her covers I feel like um, belie the kind of intelligence and um, yeah. sharpness but I think they do it a bit of a disservice but you know book. But I guess Great book covers sounds. are a rare thing, so <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other. <laughs> yeah, we will have a special episode on that one. <laughs> but that was a that was a great session. Great, mm. I, I'm so glad I went. And yeah. And then we came out, and then we came to Ruby Porter's book launch. Oh, sorry, you went at I was at um, Wild Journeys, which was one of the um, mm. the free multi-author events, um, which was held in the Limelight Room. And I tell you. The, the queue was absolutely wow. insane and like I wasn't able to like be smart and get there early because I was coming straight from Kirsty Gunn and so I was like way at the back with, and me and all, the, all these like older ladies were like oh my god I'm gonna get in that anxiety it was terrifying it's, but anyway we got in and it was a terrific reading so um first up we had um What's his name? Bob. Oh, what Bruce his name? Ainsley. Thank you. Yes. Um, who actually did a really awesome reading from his book um, about finding, about finding, or rather, not finding in the bush. Um, <sighs> do we want to address the mysterious witness? <laughs> I just put my hand down, and there's like a little wet it's patch probably, on the carpet. I was, probably mine. I was drinking wine Jenna in and this I book. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's probably me. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Quite a ride. Um, so, and then after that, we had um, Patrick DeWitt, who um, he's here promoting his latest book that he's promoting is um, French Exit, and he read from that. I haven't read French, French Exit, but I really enjoyed Sisters, Sisters Brothers. Brothers. Me too. Yeah, Shortlisted for the Man Booker. Indeed, and I had forgotten how funny it was up until the moment when Patrick began reading from his new book, which is fucking hilarious and so up my alley. Cool. So it's about. A rich lady who's kind of in the mold, I think, of like Lucille Bluth from Arrested Development yes. or something, and her son, and they're in Paris, sort of escaping a scandal back home in the wealthy circles in which they move, and they're in a restaurant, and this waiter is being incredibly rude to them, you know, a typical Parisian waiter sort of story, and instead of bringing them their bill, after like a series of humiliations that he's inflicted on them, instead of bringing their bill, he goes out and smokes not one but two cigarettes. As he's doing that, he's like looking at them from out in the street as well, like, you know, like so rude. And the mother start, like takes some perfume out of her purse and starts spritzing the bouquet in the middle of the table. <laughs> 
and the waiter's like, like you can see on his face, he's like, what the fuck? What's she doing? And then she takes a lighter out of her pocket <laughs> and lights the bouquet on fire. And then the whole restaurant is in chaos, everyone's like fleeing, and she and her son are sitting at the table where he's just like smiling with pride oh, over his mother. That is that so was, arrested development. Yes, I just loved it. Um, so that was really cool. Um, and then my other highlight was, of course, Gregory Khan, who read who from his spoke about on the last, yeah. Who I spoke about on the last pod. Um, so he read from his latest collection, Under Glass, um, and he spoke briefly about um, kind of events in his life that have informed this book, including um, the military service that he did mm. in Singapore when he was 18 years old, and also the fact that his father has been unwell recently, and it's been a really intense year for his family, wow. um, and I really appreciated that candor, and um, you know, it wasn't just a regular, hi, this is from my book, yeah. um, and then he read his poems, um, he read sort of the first half of the book, which kind of flows, like, mm. really naturally, and it's kind of like a like a narrative in itself, but also quite um, kind of all over the show, so I think that you could have heard a pin drop, it was really intense. Wow. Um, yeah, it was quite full on, quite a, a, quite a long reading. Ruby Porter read as well from her new book, which we'll talk about in a second, because we then went to her launch. Yeah, so yeah. we went to the um, Michael Gifkin's prize announcement, which Ruby was also... It was combined a, with the launch yeah. of Ruby Porter's book, Attraction. Which I had no idea, I just turned up, I didn't realise they were announcing a prize to yeah, just like drinking won, two glasses of wine at once, thinking, this is cool. She won the Michael <laughs> last year, and this book is the product of that prize, yes. which includes a publication deal with Text Publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were, we've all been really excited about this book. Yeah. yeah. I got a buzz. And it's been a long I think I'm thinking we've five been wait- months. Yeah, Jenna yeah. and I were saying we have been waiting for this book to come into our hands for so long. We keep um, hassling text. When Stalking, is it going yeah. to arrive? And so and they, they just sent us three copies yeah. <laughs> to shut us up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, text. So, I actually first encountered Ruby as a poet and I heard her read, and this was a couple of years ago. And um, I think she mentioned to me then that she was working on a novel, and I was like, that is so exciting. I can't wait to read it because I think it'll be bloody great. Mm. And so now I've got Jenna's copy in my handbag. Waterlogged. It's very <laughs> waterlogged. It's been yeah. in the bath. Oh, yeah. oh, is that why? I don't know what's happened, but and it's still it's, just damp. It's like but very it's, wavy. It suits the story. <laughs> There's a lot of sea. It suits the story. It's got like a sea, a seascape on the cover. And there's a lot deep, deep um, descriptions of the sea. So mm. in the east coast of New Zealand. But um, Paula Morris came straight from Camilla Shamsi and then launched that book beautifully and yeah. so proudly. Oh. Um, I guess because Paula Morris was Ruby's. Um, Supervisor, supervisor. And you could and just see that she was just bursting with pride. Oh, no, um, so lovely. Yeah, yeah. It was really nice, and there were lots of her fellow classmates here, which shows lots a of people lot. at the launch. Really well attended launch. Yeah, yeah. And so we'll talk more about that book later. I once think, we've all read once it, we've all read it. Um, but Ruby, Ruby seemed really happy. She's very relaxed. Yeah, and what it seemed she was very relaxed, and she read beautifully from her book. She did. She, oh. Yeah. She is incredible. Yeah. She well, I think you can really tell that she's a poet. Mm. Poets read that their work allows so much as part of their normal practice. It's not just like once a year at a writers' festival, mm. it's all the time. And also the book is written as kind of short lyrical pieces. Mm. So yeah. anyway, looking forward to get getting further through. I'm about 
30 pages into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then next, um, Jenna and I took a chill pill. And I, had, I had a deep nap. Had a nap, spilled some wine. <laughs> spilled some wine. And Karen, you uh, just... I went to Jill Abramson, who was in conversation with Toby Manhire. Um, of course, Jill Abramson was from the New York Times. She started her journalism career um, around the time of Watergate. So she's definitely been around the block. Um, she was um, accused of um, undeniable plagiarism um, with her book, Merchants of Truth, that just came out. And um, some uncredited pieces from Vice that you, you can't really um, deny as a thing because it's there in plain sight. Um, what a time to tour a book. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Yeah, but they kind of addressed that right at the beginning really? of the session. Um, yeah, so they kind of brought that up at the very beginning of the session and then it was kind of done and then they kind of moved on and... Um, yeah, at one point she kind of said, look, I feel bad that we're not talking about the work that I've done at the New York Times. And I sort of feel like as a chair that would be your worst nightmare for the author to say, look, can, can get, get in line and, and can you have some <laughs> like focus? let's talk about this, please. Ha- yeah. Let's have some focus, please. Um, you know, just that she'd kind of... Um, she was the first woman executive editor of the New York Times, which is really significant. And um, she's first commissioned the writer who broke the Harvey Weinstein um, story oh which my. went wasn't that Ronan um, Farrow Ronan Farrow, Ronan Farrow. Yes. <clears throat> yeah um, which went on to kind of be a catalyst for the Me Too movement um, and I thought it was really interesting just you know the New York Times um, and her kind of take on the whole paywall which is really of course um, relevant to what's happening with the New Zealand Herald at the moment they've just mm-hmm. interviewed their premium content with the um, paywall that they've introduced uh, for paid content for um, journalism and she went to the um, Herald offices and had a look around she talked to them and um, she was very um upfront about her views on this you know she was saying a paywall is not going to sustain them if they're not going to provide really good content it mm. can't be clickbait it can't be sensational it can't be rubbish mm. if, if it's going to sustain them it needs to be really good long-form investigative journalism that people aren't going to get from anywhere else it has to be a point of difference mm. well that's the i mean as a like a Daily Mail fan, I notice a lot of crossover with the Daily Mail and, oh, and the Herald. Like That's content. shocking. And That's so shocking. It, it's going to be quite a hard step to for the Herald to jump yeah. to be like, we're no longer well, yeah. doing the Daily Mail it's stuff. It's kind of like um, when you're sort of chasing after various things instead of kind of pursuing you know, an end goal, like, because it seems like Herald has been going down the track of clickbait yeah. journalism quite a lot and quite short journalism. Mm. Um, and so to now switch lanes, it's going to mm. be really interesting to see if they can navigate what Jill was saying yeah. and do that. The impression I got and the way that she delivered her when she was asked that was that she was quite cynical about it. Yeah. But who knows? She, we she can just. Have seen yeah. So many. Um, I think um, the New York Times did attempt um, a similar paywall back in 2006 that was really unsuccessful mm. um, but that was a while ago but and then she kind of talked about you know 
because she's very much from the old guard of journalism and kind of that news cycle going through like the, the news gathering cycle and then um, the printing kind of cycle and um, with the introduction of Vice and BuzzFeed you know that digital media really changed everything um, but basically her bottom line too was that you know Facebook and Twitter have become sewers. Mm. And um, yeah, it was really interesting. A really, really, if you yeah, and so interesting for you as a journalist yeah. yourself. And you know. if anyone's interested in um, journalism and what what they call new media or whatever, um, yeah, her book Merchants of Truth would be really, really interesting. I mean, she's she's a pro. Um, a woman got up and said, "My sixteen-year-old daughter is really interested in pursuing a career in journalism, and as a mother, I'm really terrified because she should be doing something lucrative, like being a lawyer or an engineer. Oh, what God. should I tell her?" Um, I thought, "Oh tell my God, your poor daughter." Yeah. You may as well enjoy yourself. <laughs> and she just said, "You know, look, is your daughter nosy?" Um, and <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, yeah," and she's like, "Well, you know, journalism." She's not going to make the money, but she's going to um, meet really interesting people and it'll be a gateway to really um, uncovering interesting stories and also she doesn't quite buy into the fact that there are no jobs because it might not be a job where you're on the front line gathering news, which is of course the desirable way to Mm. kind of train as a journalist, but you know, there are jobs. I was like, oh, are they? Okay. <laughs> cool. Yep, sweet. Um, speaking about journalism, this reminds me of that late last night at the Voyager Media Awards, our, our dear hosts, the spin-off one website of they the They did. Year, Congratulations. Did Congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. Congrats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, including ourselves in the spin-off, not taking full credit. Yeah, we're down, we're down. Um, no, so we really, we really congratulate yeah. the team at the spin-off. We're really proud yeah. of them and their yeah. hard work. We're really work. proud of them, and they we, are just killing it. And we love that you get us regulars to... Yeah, us ragamuffins. To, to come in yeah. once a month, so no, it was really great. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having us, the spin-off. Oh, that's such good news. Okay, well, we're off for dinner now, I think, unless anyone has something else they want to say. Let's have dinner, and then we're going to go see Shane Carter. Yeah, and we'll update you on that tomorrow. Plus, we have two, and you've listened to Fiona Kidman, but you're going to have two amazing people to listen to tomorrow as well, so just wait out for that. Bye. Bye for now. It is Sunday at the Auckland Writers Festival. You're with Gina and Louisa and we have a very special guest with us. This is Andrew Sean Greer, Pulitzer winning prize novelist of Less. Yay! Oh, hi. Say hi, Andrew. <laughs> Kia ora. Oh, that was beautiful. Um, so we actually reviewed Less on our Paper Cuts podcast. Oh, gosh. And and it was Louisa and I, because we have a third member who's not here with us at the moment, but um, we loved it. Oh, good. We really did. Good. Yeah. And we've just come out of your session with no- Noelle McCarthy, and we loved that as well. So our listeners will actually have quite a big backstory to the book already. Oh, I see. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So they don't need too much introduction, but um, maybe just briefly to say that Less is a novel about a novelist um, on the book circuit, and he is sort of a tragicomic character perhaps but um to be honest I didn't I really identified with him I didn't did you yeah (laughs) is that terrible 
Oh, well, no, not to me. <laughs> not to you, of course, yeah. because you probably feel really close to Arthur. Why would you say that? Yeah, um, I mean, yes. <laughs> yeah. of course I do. I do, although I, he, he is a, he's definitely a different... I don't see him as of, me of anymore. Of course not, no. Um, I would never assume Probably that. when I started off, he, I was digging from my own stuff, and then he became a more lovable... He's so lovable. <laughs> to me, yeah, I find him really lovable. So. Yeah, me too, absolutely. Because he, he's someone who sort of endures um, kind of accidents that are more humiliating than tragic. Um, right, it doesn't... Uh, it doesn't destroy him, but it does um, humble him or humiliate him mm. over and over, which... It's not bad for... I mean, it's... It's a case to be made for humiliation. Yeah, it keeps you down there at the right level, you know? (laughs) Um, So why is he called Arthur Less? Where did that name come from? In the original version of when I was writing this, when it was not a comic novel, um, Mm. his name was... I discovered recently, I reread my first versions of this. He was called Arthur Powers, which is a, a bad name, but it was a placeholder name for me. Yeah. And then when I made it a comedy, clearly Powers, not the... I mean, that might have been a funny, ironically. It, it could have been a contrast. But I called him uh, Les. I have friends, two men whose last names are Les, and I always thought it was... Fantastic a, name. It's a funny name. And it was... Um, it, it seems obvious. It was, But it was meant for me to remind me to diminish him throughout the book um, and and not ever have him be arrogant or if he is arrogant to um, to punch pierce it, it. yeah, yeah. <laughs> part of the charm about you I think Andrew is your story of winning the Pulitzer and how it was such a genuine surprise to you and um, because I remember watching the whole thing on Twitter did you see it on yeah. Twitter yeah and it, and um, did, like your follows must because I was like this guy looks awesome follow did you get a, a huge it did. following it after exploded that? after that well I waited two days I was in such shock um, and um, my New York publisher also Hachette um, said we need a we need a statement from you so instead I sent it out on Twitter of, of just the story of, of the ridiculous way in which I heard um and it got such a great response. Yeah. I enjoyed it very much because I don't do that much Twitter. I don't produce that much because mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm trying to hunker down and write. So, so I'm sorry if it disappoints you. I'm not making that many great posts. Oh no, I'm that's trying, a, but, but that's but the ultimate post, isn't it? It was. Yeah, I, yeah it was. I love I love that one. And uh, one of my favorite writers of all time, David Sedaris. This is the, this was his favorite book of last year. I was told that he, on his tour of America, certainly he has been going and telling his audiences that this is his favorite book and selling my book along with his. Wow, <gasps> it's incredible. It's just amazing how generous it's, writers are. I mean, yeah. it's another example of someone. Of incredible success, um, reaching down and helping another writer, and the model—if I reach that level of success of what you're supposed to do—is mm-hmm. not make it completely about you. Mm-hmm. I felt like when I read it because I knew it was his favorite book. I, because I am not a gay man, but I want—I read it through his eyes and the experience that I've read about him for all of these years, and it really added to my experience of reading with. I'm so glad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. 
Um, not to harp on about Arthur Less, um, but to actually <laughs> harp on about Arthur Less, um, or, or rather about the book itself. Um, his blue suit. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just loved. And speaking of Jenna, did you You're wear this wearing, especially? Did you Jenna's wear it especially for this? A beautiful. Just say you did. Yes. What sort of color is that? Like a cobalt? It's like a mottled. I don't know. But this is an excellent taste. Thank you. And oh, his is not. <laughs> okay, so I didn't know that. I was on board. I love, I love clothes. I love clothes as sort of talismanic clothes maketh the man sort of. I love the idea of putting on a costume and that enabling you to play your role as a, a famous novelist. Say, um, but do you do you have talismanic kind of objects or? Or items. I'm wearing one. You are? Yeah, this is my favorite. I was wondering about that because it's really striking. Um, For the people who can't see it, (laughs) Andrew is wearing a beautiful, is it seersucker? Um, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a cotton, so oh, it's... Oh, it's like a heavy, um, like, slub kind of cotton. Oh, my God, I'm getting so nerdy about this. <laughs> um, oh, slub cotton? Um, no, I don't think it is slub, because the slubs... This is more of a slub. It's got oh, I see, dots. yeah. Okay, okay, we're getting way too technical. Yeah. Uh, the cat fur is a really nice addition yeah. to Jenna. <laughs> I'm embedded in it. <laughs> um, so this, tell me about this jacket, if you would Yeah, it's, I guess it's a black and white striped yeah. um, jacket. with. It's got, like, a cowboy back. Oh my goodness. Wow. Crazy thing. But it fits well and it feels like armor because when I put it on... Clothing is armor. It just feels... Um, I had I bought it... I bought a bunch of clothes after the Pulitzer Prize. Yes. And, because, you know, there's a little money that you get. And That's I, what I always do as soon as I get any yeah, money. it's what I wanted. <laughs> and it's funny what I bought. I bought all secondhand clothes that are a little much. And I... I just thought that's what I want to, I wanted, everyone, one of them is joyous to me instead of being um, um, appropriate. They're not austere and elegant, you know. Maybe I have some of those, but mostly they're ones that make me so happy, which is, like you said, it's like armor. It's a way of controlling how people see me. Yeah, absolutely. I saw a great photo of you wearing a red suit. That is one of the things I bought. <laughs> yeah. I wore that to accept the Pulitzer Prize. Did you? Yeah, it was because it was joyous. Joyous. And, I love that. Yeah. yeah. And, and your book is joyous. I hope so. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it definitely is. Um, and sorry, I'm hogging. Can no. I ask one more question? Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, so... And sort of following on from that, um, I felt that there was a lot of kind of art and sort of other media kind of floating around um, less. I don't know if you actually referenced David Hockney in the book, but I certainly felt the presence. It felt like a Hockney painting to me. Um, This is not a question. Um, The actual question is... um, were there any kind of items of art or other, or you know, whether that be books, music, art itself that that influenced this book or are influencing you now? Certainly, and you know, Hockney is for sure an influence because there was a major um, sort of retrospective in San Francisco while I was writing this book, and he did a lot of new work, his video work that he's done. Yeah. That I was just looking at those colors and. That seemed joyous to me, but joyous in the way that definitional. Yeah, that artists who pay attention to detail in the way things, things that we forget about or don't notice. There's an ecstasy to that sensation, even if what you're looking at is ugly or difficult. Or grotesque. Yeah, there is. 
it still feels like joy in a way because it's it's um it's alive, you know. And Hockneys are alive. Hockneys are so alive, and for me, they have so much joy. But they also they also have sadness. They have melancholy, and that's how I felt about your book. While crying, <laughs> um, I wanted to just ask about um, the Baroness and the Pug. Baronessa. Because, what, can you say her full name again? Her name is Baronessa Beatrice Monti della Corte von Rizzori. Oh, it's so, my name too. Yeah. <laughs> so, she would hate that I would be calling her that. She's, she's Beatrice von Rizzori. She sounds amazing. You were were working for her just out of Florence when you got the news. How did she react when you told her? Did you go and wake her up? I did go and wake her up. Yeah. Yes. She was was excited. I'm not the first Pulitzer Prize winner she's known. (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) Um, And it took... She had actually been... She had fallen and had... She had an accident and had bruised her entire face. And... Um, but she managed to pull, that did not get her down at all. I was very worried that that, you know, at 92, when you fall, it's bad, but she got up out of it and she was up for my interviews and a photographer came the next day from Correo del Serra and she was out in sunglasses to be photographed with it all because she was very proud of me because we have a familial feeling, you know, in some way. And I did a week later tell her, I'm going to have to leave. And she said, and you won't be back. And I said, no. But you're going back. Well, I see her a lot. I okay. talked to her on the phone. I saw her in New York recently, and I'll be going back to see her because she's a huge influence. One day there will be a book written about all the writers who met each other through her. Um, some of them are here. Kamala Shamsi, I know, through Beatrice. And it's... It's going to be an interesting book about a moment in literary history of someone who sort of made connections among people around the world mm. it's because of her. Mm. She sounds amazing. And yeah. her pug sounds amazing. Like a, what are the, because there have been women like that throughout history, haven't there, you know, on the, on the Riviera and so on, who have, I can't actually remember any specific examples right now, who have gathered artists There's around one, them. Um, princess, what about the princess? You, I'll say your one. Ottoline, I'm trying to think who it was, but she was at Ottoline, the yeah. Yeah, she was at the center of like philosophers. Mm. There was, I mean, because Beatrice, because she was a gallery, important gallerist, her whole purpose was to sort of sit back and connect other people. That's mm. what she does best. She was an editor at Vanity Fair for years and years, and she would connect storytellers and photographers. It's, that's what she does. And when she's bored, she'll try to set people up. She tries to get jobs for people. She's always trying to get people to buy that apartment that a friend of hers knows. That's what she does. That sounds like a great life. I love meddling. Yeah. yeah. It's a nosy, nosy life. Yeah. <laughs> um, Karen, um, who was our other um, host of Paper Cuts, she wanted us to ask you a question um, relating to what you said in your really great talk with Noel McCarthy just now. Um, you spoke about traveling the country and speaking kind of ponying up to the bar yeah, um, and speaking to, I assume, the waitresses or, 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 or the white people. Usually it was the white people. At yeah. a bar I could talk to the, or the people next to me at the counter. Oh, I cool. did that a lot too. Yeah, that's that's a great place to talk to people. Um, Karen wanted to know if you had any any standout stories that really moved you or, or were funny or 
is there anything you would feel oh, like you'd like to share with us? I wish I had that? a great answer for it. I do. There was the waitress. It doesn't in, have to be a great answer. Any um, answer will do. Yeah, there was a, a waitress at a Mexican restaurant near the border. Um, I'm forgetting the town, and it was in must be Arizona, like right on the border. Yeah. And she, oh, she was, she owned the restaurant and she was from Mexico, an American citizen. And she talked about the next, the town across the border and how that town was populated by um, men who had been deported and that the wife, an American citizen, lived in, in this American town and the men had been deported to the town across the border. And every day the children crossed the border um, got on a school bus, went to school in the United States, went back, crossed the border again to go home to see their father. Wow. So I went and watched that happen. That is very absurd. Yeah. And do you, because you went on a three-week road trip after Trump won the election, and do you think you, was that for research for something, or was it for a personal journey? It was both, because this sounds so fake, but I write books by following a instinct of what I should be reading or going to even I'll go into art museums of it, course. and and just but there's really no distinction between is it? what's yeah. material and, and what's not right? yeah and so I some things I know are a waste of time for me adventures movies are not going to help <laughs> me do anything they might. <laughs> but but some travel it happens with other friends of mine they know they have to go see that sculpture garden they don't know why and it that's something to do with the book and so Yes, it was both. Planted a seed, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure, and we can't wait to read your eventual book about the Baronessa <laughs> and her Well, circle. we'll see. <laughs> Whatever else comes. But um, next time you're in New Zealand, please come and say hello. We know you'll be back. I would love to come back. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're on. So we are on the fifth floor again in our little corner and we have a very special guest with us to talk on the podcast, Elaine Castillo. Hello. Thank you, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Oh, please. It is my honour, my pleasure. Um, Elaine, you had um, a session on Friday. I did. And um, someone amazing. Um, yeah, it was <laughs> with this brilliant the genius <laughs> of New Zealand literature and journalism. <laughs> this rising. <laughs> it was Karen Das. <laughs> but um, one of the things that um, I mentioned in that talk was your Instagram has been amazing while you have been in New Zealand. You write these really amazing, immersive, long kind of pieces to go with these amazing images. And you've been having a really interesting time here going to interesting places what what have been your impressions of New Zealand I mean I think I can only well that's kind of you to describe my Instagram that way I usually describe it as I don't know how to Instagram because <laughs> you're supposed here. to do like short captions and just like a cute picture of you looking great and I'm like mm, <laughs> how about a novel <laughs> uh, you're a very long person. form <laughs> I, I think I can only describe my impression of New Zealand as one of I think like love at first sight. I don't know. There's something that's very, very unique, unique in my life that's happening to me here that I've never experienced before. And New Zealand is one of those places. Like if I was gonna, I was telling you this. If I was gonna be that like corny white woman who's like, I've always wanted to go to India. 
<laughs> like if I, you know, obviously oh that is I like, that one I, love. I know, but I'm like, this is like the worst. But if I was like, my, like the, it, I'm adjacent to that, like the closest thing I have to that is probably New Zealand. I think, I mean, like a lot of people, I probably came to like seeing images of the country via Taika Waititi. And so I, I, I did, I did have a, I, I was excited to come here, but I don't think I was prepared for how, I think much it, it, it just struck me and how, I, I, just, I mean, obviously the natural beauty of it, the people, I, I think the singularity of it. I'm writing a lot. I mean, this is another thing is that I've just been fucking writing loads here. And I don't actually, and writing, writing loads here and also writing in a way about here, but it's almost like being here has been, I've, I, I had loads of essays in, in the sort of back burner and, and things that I know I wanted to talk about that I just think they, they couldn't find a place in my life or I was like, I don't know how these things work together. Basically, it was that they needed a catalyst and being here was 1000% that catalyst. I was here, I was like locked in. I was like, oh, I know exactly what I want to write, how I want to write it. This being here on this hike in Queenstown, that is something or or watching Murata, the documentary mm -hmm. about Murata Mita, which who is now, you know, I'm a personal like Murata Mita evangelist. I'm like, have you accepted her as your Lord and Savior? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yes. So things like that, you know, and then I suddenly, I, I think I ended up essentially writing an essay collection here, which I assume will be titled Why I Moved to New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to read it. And I that you've um, been writing it while you're in New Zealand rather yeah. than waiting till you get home? No, I'm terrified of waiting until I get home. Mm. I, I, I think what I realized writing here, and maybe this is something that's going to continue with me, is that I actually really needed to write it fast and without thinking about it. And Because I'm the type of person who, when I go back to things, I always think like, oh, this is the thing I left out, or here's the political context I could have developed more. It's usually that. Or here's the, you know, anything. And then the kind of, the weight of the thing just becomes, it just becomes more, I just add more ballast to it. And I found here that, like, I had to write it fast because then it could, the buoyancy of the piece could then, like, live, I think, if that, very mixed metaphor. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I ended up writing it fast, and then I actually even like a couple, was it yesterday? Yesterday I sent like a whole bunch of pieces to my agent, just kind of like I think I'm, I think I wrote an essay collection. I need to send this to you now before I end up before I arrive in California and feel like oh no, I'm doubting it mm. or I'm gonna mm. over edit it. Like mm. hold me accountable to the kind of euphoria I'm feeling now, uh, and and the way I feel about it now. So. Yeah, I'm writing it here, and I don't normally write in hotel rooms, or that's not wow. a thing that I do. So it's very unique to to Aotearoa. So one of us should ask a question because Karen has already asked you many, many, many questions. Well, I could always talk to her. I was saying, I was like, could you do all the interviews, please? Aww, thank uh, you. You guys had a great what chemistry. A, we really, really, really. Yeah, Karen, we have to say, is your fangirl as well. We had to. You did such a good job. I know you were. Very nervous, but you're so prepared. Karen was hella so nervous. fucking prepared. Yeah. Like my God, prepared. Like when, like, like when you meet, when you have a reader like that, you don't, you don't have to do much because it's like, well, here they open up a space for you to be like safe, but then also free, if that makes sense. And then you're able to really go in in a way mm. that you don't feel if like you feel like, oh, okay, maybe I have to tiptoe around some things. And no, it was, I, yeah. It was Pretty magical. We were proud mamas. Oh. <laughs> taking photos, like, getting at the right angle. I know. Yes, I think I like regrammed one of those yeah, photos. Yeah. From, yeah. yeah. No, it was a dream, dream author to be in conversation mm. with because you're so generous and oh, thank um, you. yeah, really thoughtful about your work and craft. 
No, thank you. Well, I was so like wrapped up that I didn't. I forgot to take notes in the mm. session. I took one note, and it's a direct <laughs> quote from you. So brace okay. yourself. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> it, it says, "I'm not writing to create a neo-colonial diorama." Yeah. And I, right, yeah. I love that. Partly because the word diorama is such a great word. It's a cool word. Yeah, yeah. It is just and you a have cool a real word. facility with words. Obviously, like when you speak as well, you know, not just in your writing, but you know, you have the gift of the gab. But anyway, I, I loved that comment, and I thought it was interesting how you spoke a little bit about how, um, you know, uh, when white when white people write, it's sort of unmarked. It's sort yeah. of just kind of yeah. It's uh, what is it like the baseline or it's, it's the universal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm just writing about families. I'm like yeah. you're writing about white middle white. class families. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. like I suppose it must be kind of frustrating to when you write it be pigeonholed as as one thing um, or as as sort of yeah, this is a Filipino story sure, or yeah. a Filipino American story. I w- wondered if you had any more. Yeah, I mean to be honest, I think that's actually what I ended up. That's I think the subject of the the essay collection that I apparently have written is, is thinking about how we read now and how how the things that we all are what I talked about I think in the talk that we all, we all just came from how how the way we read now does a disservice to not just writers of marginalized backgrounds although of course you know they bear the the, the brunt of it mm. but all of our writers that we have this yeah. kind of false way of reading that does it lazy. name exactly exactly that says well no I just want to read about families when I go to sort of ultimately white middle class readers and we don't we don't like there are no identity politics panels that have white readers white writers on them like I've never seen a panel about like talk about like your identity and had like you know fucking like Margaret Atwood on it I don't know like, as a Canadian yeah exactly as a white Canadian how much do you apologize for no I'm just kidding my best friend is a white Canadian one of my best friends is a white Canadian sorry Harry I mean um, I'm sure you're also aware that New Zealand is a yes. um, post-colonial society. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, and yeah, I would yeah. be really interested to see if you engage with that in your hotly oh, anticipated <laughs> Why I moved to New Zealand. Yeah, no, of course. I think that that's pr- pr- primarily what I'm um, engaging with and comparing, I think, the kind of settler colonial society here to America and also, you know, how it, how it infiltrates, like, everything, you know, from the, you know, the thing I talked about today, which is about environmental change and the Douglas firs that are in Queenstown to, you know, the stuff that I basically learned by watching that Murata documentary, how mm. which is, has the best mm. title, "How Mom Decolonized the Screen." Uh, Mom decolonized the screen. So it's just the great. best. <laughs> it's just the best title, and 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 is a real example of decolonial art and decolonial and, and very intersectional decolonial art because it goes into her life as a single mother, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and facing like housing discrimination and you know fight for reproductive rights, especially as a Maori woman, but also like fucking you know documenting like really sort of seminal moments of police brutality and state mm-hmm. violence and colonial violence here in in New Zealand. So for sh- uh, I think I forgot the, the, the thread of that no, question. No, no, you asked but, oh, do I, Am I engaging yeah, with yeah, post-colonial yeah. society? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, mean, I asked that because I already kind of suspected that you, yeah, that you were. Yeah, no, I will. And I'm, I feel like yesterday I was literally Googling the Treaty of Waitangi. So yeah, right. definitely I'm reading about it, So which is very, it's super, super interesting. But I think at the same time, I don't, I don't really shy away. Like the thing when I think about like, how we read. I don't want people to read me and go that it's not a Filipino story. It is very much a Filipino story. I, I don't. I'm not afraid of those labels. But that doesn't mean that it's not also just a story exactly, about, about sure. difficult families. Sure, 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 exactly. And, and and you want to, I think you, you want to assume your own centrality and your own universality, because white people do. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I don't, I don't understand. I, you know, the, 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 the words, the worlds that are kind of 
transmitted to us as universal are not universal to me. Well, everyone so. is the hero, so to speak, of yeah. their own story. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hero. Look at that slide. I was like, should I? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to. I shouldn't, but I will. Jenna? <laughs> um, no? Oh, I'm too on the spot. I'm just going to. No. Um, well, I think that we should probably then wrap up. Awesome. Um, and thank you so much, Elaine. You've been so generous, and I think um, I do really appreciate that you're you're so engaged with New Zealand, and yeah. New Zealanders love that because we mm -hmm. often feel so invisible. Well, we Gosh. love people tell us how great we are. Uh, yes, well, well every country loves that. Not just that. in a kind of cheesy, not just in a surface. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you yeah. have you have you have yet to reference Lord of the Rings. I love it's that right. you said that yeah. you learned about us from Taika Waititi. Yeah. Like, I I thought you were going to say Lord yeah. of the Rings. Oh no, one, which is nothing. I'm to not do a with Lord of the Rings person. Sorry. One thing that I may, yeah. would like to say is that in your in your session, I felt like quite, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to say it the right way, but um, I was just so happy you were speaking to that room and maybe it is like putting work on your shoulders of explaining to right. a, a predominantly white audience sure, yeah, white yeah, middle yeah. class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but I, I was like, you, you, the way you talk about your experience is just so like, it's like, it's like keeps it real, but it's really kind and you Aww. sort of say it with a smile and it, it, it it's just really warm, a really warm Aww, way to engage thank with you. people. And I think it was really valuable for me to hear, and I think it loved a lot of people. The room. The festival, oh, the wow. Room. Yes. Well, thank you. That's yes. very kind to hear. Everyone in my family would be like, you're talking about who? <laughs> I mean, I'm known to have zero chill and to be very argumentative and combative, but maybe I have learned to do it with this. I mean, also because I think... At the end of the day, yes, it is a burden. There is a burden if you're expected to do it, especially the way I, what the, the, someone was like. Oh my question. god! Yeah, well, Can we like, talk about yeah. the question? Because I feel like we've talked about it with yeah. Elaine already, but it, it was such an awesome moment. So there was a moment where you know we in the finished, session. Our, finished our yeah. talk in the session and opened the opened it up to the audience for questions. And the first question was this woman who was very eager to ask. Um, a question, she shot her hand up and kind of looked around the room. Waiting for the mic. Does everyone, yeah. Yeah. everyone see me? Yeah. <laughs> and then sort of asked you, Elaine, I teach a whole lot of um, high school 300 Filipino girls or something. 300 girls, um, and I want to introduce them to some Filipino authors. Who do you recommend? Go. Yeah. <laughs> that was wild. The but go. It, go. Because I'm desperate to find yeah, yeah. yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very, like, emphatic the way that she yeah, delivered yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. very, oh, like, Oh, yeah, I don't even remember I that she said I'm desperate. Thank you, because I was going to go in the assessment. But the way that Elaine dealt with that question, we talked about it afterwards, was so beautifully handled and kind of kind of quite pointed and almost a little bit I, I wouldn't say cutting but just pointing incisive incisive not cutting but incising um I guess yeah, when I was giving you that feedback yeah. before, it kind of ties all into this experience of yeah. listening to yeah. this woman ask mm. this question. Right, and yeah. And how you answered that. Because Elaine essentially said, well, will you pay me for that later? Yeah. I don't and, but that, then yeah. you did give her what she wanted as well. well yeah. Very generously. Yeah. And then, um, a, a long yeah. list. Um, and that, that was, um, I think, as I said to you last night, it, I could tell that you were like, this is a really, like, 
not not cool the way she asked it, but I also want to talk about my favorite author. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's it. That's what I was thinking. Is that yes, that you know, when when moments like that happen, and when you're expected or, or demanded really to do the labor that ultimately all people should be doing for themselves, in particular, she white people. Well, that's why I was Google. like, you know, PayPal me because Google is. Yeah, I think that and exists. also his students might know. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but why would she ask the Filipinos that actually are in her life? Yeah. <laughs> but then, um, when you answered that question, pretty much everyone in that room clapped. Yeah, no, people yeah. were nice about they it. Knew, people were yeah. nice about it. It was, it was, a, it was a fairly yeah. People were very, very nice about it. And yeah, I, I think, I think that yeah, that mix of like combativeness, but also I guess sort of nerdy graciousness maybe I think Andy was talking about Andrew Sean Greer was talking about that about the need to be gracious and he is incredibly gracious and one of the loveliest yeah. people I have ever met oh you've both and seen how much you love each other oh. <laughs> and 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 I and I, I believe in that I think also because while while yes the when it when that demand is put to you in such an ultimately violent way of course you, you I mean you want to push back against it because it's yeah. bullshit but then at the same time sometimes I, I also think like I this is something that I sometimes say when people are like, oh, like it's so like sort of post-colonial killjoy or feminist killjoy. There's often this kind of like sort of pall that's over you if you speak very politically and it's kind of like, oh, it's always such a downer. So and I, I find that I get a lot of joy from it. I get a lot of joy and kind of life source from also from my own anger because I know the world that it's contending with and that I would I, I would rather have that anger than the. I don't know numbness or indifference yeah. that that that's the other option. So then, and yes, you know. So then, I I, I can find joy in having those confrontations. Probably because I'm a like unrepentant brawler <laughs> since <laughs> since 1984. Yeah. But also, yeah, I, you know, if if you ask me about book recommendations, I I mean, you would have to be pretty uh, like truly terrible for me not to give you some. Yeah. So and then you still probably would. And then I still probably would be like, oh, but I read this one. really great author. <laughs> Well, to our listeners, you can read Elaine's book, America is Not the Heart, Aww. and it's available at all good bookstores. We recommend oh. it. Yeah, we really recommend Well, Louisa and I get to read, but we will read it now after going to your session. <laughs> Unfounded recommendation. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so, so, so much. You guys are the best. Thank you, Elaine. Thank, Thank you. you. So last night, um, Jenna and I, uh, this is Karen, we went and saw Shane Carter in conversation with John Campbell at the ASB Theatre and it was pretty packed, eh? Room of Dads. Room of Dads. <laughs> well, I saw the double happies back in the... Yeah, I'm sure all of them have a story. I heard there was a very long signing line yeah. that all of those people yeah, would yeah, have yeah. been saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was a really warm, friendly discussion, wasn't it? It was more quite an informal chat. And they were talking about, of course, um, the book that I feel like I've just been talking about mm-hmm. so much, um, Dead People I Have Known. As we walked in, everyone kept saying, oh, Karen, you love this book. I know, it was really so funny, actually. And then, you know, people were accosting me as I was sitting down. I loved your review of the book, yeah. which is really nice. It's really nice that people give a shit about that stuff. But, you know, John Cam- he's such a warm person and he started off the session by being like this is a fucking great book and this is the guy who who's on the news on the TV news so you never hear him swear out of he's a, and he's immaculate he wears a suit um, and even when he goes to rock gigs, well, he'll we, go with a suit. We've got Elaine with us, so we'll oh. just translate. <laughs> They're yeah. translating to an American. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Why are they telling me like, what John Campbell looks like? So he gave this really enthusiastic introduction to the book, just saying how amazing it was. And he made the point that um, the first hundred pages of the book is one of the best descriptions of a childhood in small town New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And nice. it's so true. I, I mean, I can't state that enough. The first half of the book is definitely um, really strong because it's all about, it's that unique kind of story of mm-hmm. working class New Zealand small town, um, very unique. Brockville. Um, Brockville. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I liked it. I loved hearing him read from the book and then when he spoke about how, as a lyricist, he wrote the book in a rhythm mm. and um, had, what's it called? The con- no, keeping the beat of making sure they're right. Yeah. Um, you know, if you have three, like, Gina is two, his two... Um, beats? Beats. What's the real word for it? Don't worry. Cadence? No. no, sorry. <laughs> anyway, um, and um, yeah. So did you guys have anything more on that, or should we move on to today? It was, it was a late night. It was a really late it night. Started so at eight forty-five. Yeah. We were we were bloody tired. We'd been at a festival all day, and yesterday I was saying, I love this festival so much. I don't want it to end. And then today I'm feeling quite dusty. <laughs> uh-huh. You're end. like, end now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to say how many? Save you on the long seat. Oh, me, I had nine. Yeah. Nine wines. <gasps> I had nine, nine, nine wines. Nine wines, Well, actually, eight wines and one one glass of fizz. So I feel pretty dusty. Yeah. I mean, um, champion effort. Yeah. Wow. Respect. And you were here at 10 o'clock this morning? I know. It came 10 o'clock this morning to see Alexander oh. Chi in conversation with... Who was he in conversation with? Sasha de I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, Sasha. His book. Do you know? I just wanted to jump straight to the end of that because you know how there's audience questions at the end. Oh gosh. His session was probably the only session I've ever been to where it was almost appropriate for people to tell a story. Mm, Did you? I see what you mean, yeah. I think I think some of those questions, they definitely started off as comments. Mm-hmm. And then I, at the first I was like, where is this going to go? Same, I rolled my eyes, but then... And then by the end I was like, oh no, I think there's actually they're actually communing yeah. with something here, with something that his work ultimately brings up in them and brings up in a lot of people. Like experience of trauma and mm. um, abuse. Especially, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so it's yeah. quite... Can you guys tell us a little bit about the book? I personally haven't read it. Mm. Have you, Jenna? No, I haven't read it. Or like, or or about him as a as a writer. Um, so I haven't actually read him. Oh, oh, oh! I'm the resident yeah, Alexander Chia. Yeah. Well, strap in, guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm bracing myself. I mean, the the the, the opportunity to. Pray, to come to praise and fawn over Alex is is one I will take at any moment. Actually, his spouse, because I, I actually first met him a couple weeks ago at the Sydney Writers Festival. Met him in person. We kind of been Instagram friends a little bit because we sort of knew each other, and I think I had quoted him about three million times. And I think he probably just got wind that there was this Filipino-American girl who was apparently quoting everything he's ever written. <laughs> um, and it was always super, super kind and gracious, the way he is incredibly kind and gracious. And I think his, 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 his husband at some point was like, oh, I'm like glad that like you finally got over this like hero worship thing, and like now you can be friends. Like You guys are like actually becoming friends. And then I went to this session, and I was like, I'm, go- I'm going backwards, guys. I- I'm back. I've gone, I've gone back to the hero worship. I'm 
sorry. I thought it was going to... No, I mean, I mean, I, I think we are friends, which is incredible for me, considering... I mean, he talked about his blog. He talked about that he was a, a, a blogger, and I read that blog. Like, I read Koreanish. Yeah, like, right. I read all those essays. Like, the fact that he said he read 70... That had 70 essays to pull from, I was like, S- seems legit, because I feel like I have read that much. Yeah. So in the session, him. he said that he'd been <clears throat> blogging these um, essays, right? Oh, yeah. And he had yeah. about 70 on there. Yeah. And then, what was it, his publisher or agent yeah. said... You need to yeah. be doing something. Don't be with doing this, this for free. free yeah, content. exactly. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is, which is, you know, solid agent advice. <laughs> um, and then, and 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 yeah, and I, I mean, I love Edinburgh, which is his first novel, which is the yeah. novel that um, talks about um, essentially sort of systemic child uh, sexual abuse. And then I absolutely adore his second novel, The Queen of the Night, which is about essentially this opera singer, and which I read. For me, it's also about like the formation of American identity, but especially like like female American selfhood, but American selfhood, especially if you live outside of America. Mm-hmm. And when I lived, when I was reading it, I lived outside of America, and there are passages in it, particularly towards the end, where I was just in floods of tears. I mean, I think that is a classic, like, Alexander Chi experience. Like, mm-hmm. people read his work. And I think it's just because he's so deeply intimate, but also incredibly lucid, but also generous and, and sort of unafraid of... of, of I think going into you know what what it is to like really sort of basic fundamental sort of visceral things like what it, what is it to be vulnerable what is it to feel mm-hmm. lost like what is it to try to grow up you know and so um, yeah so so I had already loved Queen of the Night sorry I'm I, I'm taking over the podcast this is now <laughs> Alexander Chi podcast I just want our listeners to know that we will be buying Elaine lunch after this <laughs> and um, she will have earned <laughs> and one person got up and said thank you for a session that is so real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that that session? Yeah, it was. I think something, yeah. She was just saying, this is real. This is real. Yeah. I think that was a comment that came after a long, long, long comment, and I was holding on, and then when she said that, I was like, ah, yeah. No, she's right. Mm. Mm. I think that is what he does, that that power of the the real, and not just in the kind of, like, boring... Yeah, but not even just in the in the sense of the confessional or the autobiographical or the sense of like when you read his uh, you know essays like yeah this really happened, but that he gets to the heart of something like of what it is ultimately really what it is to be alive. He had this beautiful quote that they were they were uh, um, using to advertise in the Sydney Writers Festival, and I'm sure I'm going to butcher it now, but it's something like to write is to escape not from the truth but into it Ooh. and I was like fucking hell come on <laughs> like, stop it just <laughs> and yeah and that's what, that's what reading him is like yeah. shit thank um, you for that yeah thank you Elaine <laughs> and then after that we went to Carla Guffelbang we went to Andrew Sean Gray but yeah. we just interviewed him just interviewed so him. you got an insight into that yeah I can't wait you sat at the whole session that's why you went I did yeah yeah so I didn't get to meet um, Andrew unfortunately because I was oh. in this session um, which was fantastic and my in to this session was um, Clarice Lispector who was yeah. an author Hell I think yeah. in 2016 cool. she was my um literary find of oh, that oh, year yeah. and was that the year when her big the big, the big back um, collection of short stories, yes. 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 Short stories. Yes. that was I read yes. that cover to cover loved it and when I um, won a bookseller scholarship to work in a bookshop in West Hollywood books <gasps> oh, um, it was sort of my very first day there 
I sort of got on the shop floor and the first book that I hand sold to a customer was that Clarice <gasps> was picked up and I was so proud of myself because it was a big fat expensive yeah. hardback and I thought yeah they're impressed with me they could all offer me a job yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah and then I went to another bookshop in New York which was my favourite bookshop in America and that was um, Three Lives and Company and um, it's a little one kind yeah, of think I've been there. yeah so good and I went up to the guy and said hey we're meeting lately and he said Clarice Lispector oh, wow. and Carla in her session she said whenever she goes into a bookshop the first thing she kind of asks is do you have any Lispector and um, sometimes there'll be always one bookseller who will be like yes you know <laughs> her and you're kind of part of this cult mm -hmm. but anyway she this is an amazing author um carla she was a geneticist a graphic designer um and she studied biology which incidentally is one of the most narrative forms in nature mm. um and she was an editor at uh, fashion editor at Elle magazine oh, <laughs> what? and she did that i think for many years she said she's um, pretty chic she's very she's chic very and then she sort of said oh hey i don't want to do this anymore i want to write she'd been writing the whole time and she's written a novel called um in the distance with you and it's her homage to clarice lispector because they both come from a ukraine um jewish background um and kind of she noticed all these similarities in their lives and she did such a beautiful kind of rave about um Lispector. she said i would prefer you to read her more than me <laughs> but then you know tom moody who chaired the session was like you can read uh. both <laughs> um, and just a fascinating woman and someone spoke up at the end and said this is one of the most interesting sessions and you know she was quite apologetic at the beginning wasn't she she was sort of saying I didn't think anyone would be here because English isn't my first language mm. I thought there'd be 10 people the room was packed but someone said I think we need more people like you to come to this festival because um, it's been brilliant so um, um, yeah. I also um, and just to refer again to an audience question, which was maybe not that much of a question, but which I really enjoyed, um, at the end of Carla's session, um, a man spoke up and, and sort of said to the room, I'm going to ask Carla a question um, in Spanish. Yes. Yep. Mm. Um, and, you know, if, if, the, if that's cool with you, great. If it's not, that's fine too. <laughs> and then he... Um, he, he spoke to her in Spanish and um, he, he mentioned, I think, that they were they had been um, refugees in the 80s yeah. um, from Chile and, um, and, then, and then they had a private moment mm. and it was really nice. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment of connection and he actually seemed pretty emotional. Yeah. Um, so that was a cool... It was very a, cool. A very cool untranslated moment. I would love to see more moments like that at the festival. I think there's room for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, did we talk about Camilla Shamsi? Yes. Yeah, we did, we did last okay, night. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Also, Good. I'm hungry, Just so checking. it's oh. too late. <laughs> um, wow. So I think that might actually be us. Yeah. 
this might have been a long podcast for you guys to listen to, so we're glad that yeah. you stuck to That's my fault. I'm a rambler. This is like the fifth recording. Yeah. <laughs> but we'd like to thank all the people who have come on to the podcast to talk to us, uh, Elaine Castillo, the fourth Yay. member of Paprika. Yay! <laughs> Andrew Sean Greer and Dame Fiona Kidman. Yeah. Such a treat to have yeah. her. And also would like to thank anyone that's come up to us during the festival to say that they listen to the podcast. Mind-blowing. Yeah. People we don't even know. know. Yeah. Every time know. I just like scream and then like melt into a puddle on the floor. Yeah, oh. it's just so lovely. Yeah, yeah thank and you. So we've had such a lovely time and we'd also like to thank the Auckland um, Writers Festival for providing tickets for us to go and see these yeah. things and, and to be able to talk about it and the publicist to, who've just made it really easy because yeah. we're kind yeah. of, you know, on the fly type. Hey, journalists. can we interview yeah. <laughs> yeah. now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's been really generous and kind. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and thanks to the spin off who will be piecing this together for us and also the Matatuhi Foundation. And thank you to you for listening. I don't know, that was really cheesy, but. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs>